and then we saw two black cats big black cats about the same size that picked out a sheep and a lamb and cornered it in the corner of the field and were about to attack seeing is believing and i have no proof of what i saw that day other than what i can describe it was huge it was like the weightlifter of cats welcome to big cat conversations we speak directly to people who've encountered one of britain's big cats we also discuss the bigger picture i'm rick minter and thanks for joining me Welcome, this is episode 51 of Big Cat Conversations, coming to you in late May 2021. Back in episode 30, we heard about a big cat close encounter on Anglesey, which is a large island linked by two bridges to the mainland of North Wales. For this edition, we are hearing from Anglesey again, and our guest is Anne, who formerly farmed in part of the island, and she still lives close by as a resident there. She experienced a large cat on her land several times, so we're going to hear about those events and how she felt farming and living alongside a panther visiting her property. And thanks so much for coming on the show and welcome. Thank you very much. Okay, Anne, so we're going to go through the whole saga and all the events that unfolded. And before it all started, were you aware at all of big cat sightings anywhere in Britain, let alone locally on Anglesey? Not particularly. It wasn't anything that I'd really paid any attention to. It wasn't anything I was particularly interested in at the time. And obviously had no idea whatsoever that we might have one on our doorstep, particularly with Anglesey being an island. We had very few foxes here until they were actually introduced. So no, I didn't expect to see a cat at all. We'll obviously go through the incidents in detail a bit later, but from when did it start and when did it finish? Well, We're potentially talking about around 2002, but at that time, the incidents that occurred at that time, we didn't even consider it to be a cat until a close neighbour of ours actually had his first sighting in April in 2004. And that's when things started to fall into place a little bit with what had happened to us and another neighbour. Okay. And when did it peter out? Probably about 2013 would have been around the last sighting. Can we start with the first key event as far as you are concerned? As far as I'm concerned, the first key event, I didn't associate with it having been caused by a cat. It's just that where we live, it's a very forested, wild area with obviously our paddocks were in between the forests and things. We had a foal that went missing and we looked everywhere for it. Neighbours helped us look everywhere for it. And the mare had been badly cut up her back end um, and torn quite badly over her private bits. And we assumed that she maybe had got caught up in a fence and that her foal had got through somewhere and she'd tried to follow him. And we never found that foal. And it wasn't that long after that that we lost a second foal, which makes us sound very careless. But these weren't little tiny foals. I mean, we bred sports horses. So these were four to five month old substantially sized foals and so another search was done for the second foal and unfortunately we found it probably the following morning I can't remember the exact time scale and all that was left of it was its haunch its back end one thigh and the remains of a leg and it had been pulled in under a hedge 
talking to other locals at the time, farmers and people that know these things, there is no way that a fox, even a family of foxes, would have created such damage in that short period of time since he'd gone missing. So that was our first sort of incident, although at the time, I didn't really think big cats. It just never entered my mind. I don't know what I thought, but I hadn't thought big cats. Looking at the carcass and the unfortunate carcass of the foal, what was your initial hunch, your initial conclusion about the cause? To be honest, I had no real idea because there was literally, we only found the back leg right up over its quarter, just its thigh and bottom, and the rest of the carcass had disappeared. There was nothing else there. There were no other obvious remains that we could see. But as I said earlier, we're surrounded by hundreds of acres of wild woodland that nobody goes into. So whether it had been a fox that had somehow managed to get the leg off the rest of the body and taken it back to its den, that's probably what was going through my mind at the time. And obviously the devastation that we'd now lost two foals. You didn't think it was a wandering dog that was misbehaving, a feral dog or a wandering dog? Well, no, not really, because we're all very close-knit up there and everybody knows everybody else's dogs. And it was an area that did have one particular public footpath through it, but not actually through our land. And I can't imagine that a dog would have eaten a complete five-month-old foal overnight. Okay. You said there were a few happenings that you didn't relate to big cat activity, which might have been prior to this. Can you just summarise what those were? Apart from the mare being torn down her back end that needed stitching by the vet, that was the mother of one of the foals. We assumed at the time she'd been caught up in a fence. And we also had a very close neighbour who was literally just along the sort of shoreside where we were who'd had a horse again very badly injured. Its back end had been injured, but luckily it was wearing a rug at the time. So it had torn the rug and obviously through the rug had torn the back quarters of the horse. But it wasn't as badly injured, obviously, as our mare was at the time. But again, I didn't know about that incident until after the actual first proper sighting, which was nearly two years later. Gosh, so nobody had reported a Black Panther-type animal to you through the grapevine or directly? Not at all. Not that I know. Okay. The um, intriguing thing about large foals being attacked and predated even is that one would expect they wouldn't be a target prey item if there were deer around. Now, lots of parts of Wales do not have deer, do they? Um, How about Anglesey? I know that there are deer on a private estate on the west coast of Anglesey, but as far as I know, there aren't any deer in our area. And I've certainly not heard any reports of any deer in the area. So no, that wouldn't have been the case with us. Plenty of sheep, plenty of cattle, rabbits, pheasants, but certainly no deer. So the first sightings, tell us about those and how much later were they? The first sightings were just prior to the 5th of April in 2004. That's the date that the first newspaper article appeared. And that was where the first actual sighting was made by a neighbour of ours. He's just one farm along the hillside from where we were. He's a very educated man. He's a headmaster of a private school currently, but he was a chartered surveyor or something similar before that. His wife's a professor, so I'm trying to paint a picture of two very sensible people. 
he had a small holding next to us. And, and one day he was clearly, I think he was out harrowing or something on a little tractor. And I had a phone call off him. I was at home minding my own business. And I had a phone call off him. Basically, in whispers, he was telling me that I needed to get over to my bottom field very quickly because he was watching a big cat stretching his tail up a tree and spraying. I have to admit that I just paused and didn't say anything, asked him to repeat what he'd seen and asked him why he was whispering. And it turns out that he was on his little tractor, his little Fergie tractor that he renovated with no cab. And he was sitting very still and very quiet because he didn't want this big cat to see him in case it attacked him. That was the first sort of indication that somebody actually saw something. Um, so I'm ashamed to say that I went down there with my husband and I took a 12-bore shotgun with me. I don't think I'd have actually had the courage or the reasoning to actually kill anything with it. But I took it with me, maybe possibly for self-defense. And by the time I arrived there, then my neighbor was sort of still sat on his tractor, pointing to me in our bottom fields, which are quite rough. And in the winter, they tend to be a bit waterlogged and explaining to me exactly where he'd seen the cat and described the cat to me. And it had been there for quite a few minutes, completely nonchalantly walking around and had actually also stretched up and like normal domestic cats scratch their claws on your door frame. It had done that to one of the trees down there. At that time, we were walking through the undergrowth. My neighbour was walking in front of me and I was walking behind him with a gun over my arm, at which point he stopped dead and said, don't these things climb trees? <laughs> We'd never considered and we just made a hasty retreat. But unbeknown to me immediately then that he had actually phoned the police as well. So the next people that turned up, he was the supposedly the wildlife liaison officer for the local police force. And he talked to my neighbor and asked him to describe what he'd seen. And he declared that quite possibly it was a badger. We have no badgers in our immediate areas either. Declared it must have been a badger. I've never seen a badger spray up a tree and I've never seen one scratch its claws on a trunk. We also had the police helicopter hovering above us by this point with a heat-seeking gadget because what you've got to understand about our location is that our land borders a beach where thousands of people gather in the summer with children and everything. So obviously I think he panicked a bit and the police were quite concerned that there was a big cat on the loose that would maybe, I don't know, attack children or whatever. But the wildlife liaison officer basically said, it's a badger and that's it. Did you believe your neighbour completely straight away and on the spot because of his emotion and the detail? Absolutely. And he was genuinely scared. I mean, he had stock as well. So, and by then, you know, sort of two and two were coming together and, um, Obviously, the fact that our fields bordered his and that we'd lost the foals, then quite likely then we were starting to realise what was going on. So he was speaking to you on the phone in sight of the cat, but he presumably didn't have a camera on the phone in those days. Oh, gosh, no, not back then. Not at all. And it made the papers because the police were called out, did it? Is that what triggered the press coverage? It was the fact that I think it got somehow through the grapevine that the police were down there and why they were down there and various locals 
were turning up with guns and silencers and sights and all that sort of thing. Um, and I think it may have just got a bit out of hand. And then obviously somebody had tipped the papers off about it. That was it. It was just out there then, obviously. It caused us great problems because a, we still had our horses out on the field, so we had to promptly move them somewhere that we considered a bit safer. As it turned out, it didn't make much difference because we'd also then had later viewings of it where we'd moved the horses to, so it didn't really matter. Also, we did have the issue that we did have people wandering our land you know, with, with guns at night and camouflage gear and God knows what they were expecting to do, whether they wanted a trophy, but it did cause an awful lot of, of hassle at the time. It's one of the reasons now, it's 20 years on, that I'm hoping that whatever it was has maybe peacefully died and rotted into the ground somewhere and, and this will not rekindle the same situation. Sure, Noah, that's interesting thinking. How did they get onto your land? They were just trespassing blatantly, were they? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, was the location given away in the papers? Yes, it was, unfortunately. Not the actual names of the properties, but it was very, very clear to any locals by its description as to where it was. A fair few people don't declare their sightings or their encounters because they actually fear a trophy hunters or vigilantes. Mm. And you've got an absolute pure example of that that you can describe and explain. I think often it doesn't happen and it wouldn't happen, but it's quite understandable that people consider it's a prospect. So did you ever meet these people and challenge them? I knew who they were, and I, but I didn't challenge them as such. I mean, would you if somebody's walking around your field with a 12 bar? Yeah, especially if you knew who they were, knew their reputation. But they were relatively local, were they? Yes. There was evidence that they were camping out and stuff like that as well, and obviously around at night, which was a bit off-putting. My biggest fear was that they'd shoot one of my horses, which is hence why we'd moved them. I'm sure they wouldn't have, but it wasn't the chance I was willing to take at the time. What was the police's attitude to this kind of behaviour? Or did they not get to hear of it? No, they didn't get to hear of it. I don't think they'd have been interested because as far as they were concerned, it was a badger. Did the police come round to backing you and clarifying that they actually did endorse the fact that there was a Black Panther around at any stage? They made some sort of comment to the paper, obviously, that they had checked with, you know, with the heat-seeking helicopter, but that was the end of it as far as they were concerned, really. And I think from that point on, we never, ever reported any of the sightings to the police because, in all honesty, we didn't see any reason to do so and to be belittled. There was no point in reporting it. Do you think that they genuinely felt it was a case of misidentification or do you feel there was a bit of, oh, this is beyond our remit, this is beyond our resources and ability to cope with and it's too awkward and so we're just going to fudge it and park it to one side? Yeah, I think there's definitely a little bit of the, the latter and I think there's also very much a case of if they don't see it with their own eyes, they're not particularly interested. Yeah. And I should say, I don't want to frown upon the police's attitude because I think now, now the subject's trending and there's a lot more wider awareness. I think police forces are quite understanding. So it may be that it was, I think, the circumstances of at that time and that location, it was a bit of a shock and they just felt was too awkward. 
It would have been like looking for a needle in a haystack anyway, to be totally honest. You know, it's such a big area, such a massive area of wilderness that you could have had a whole pride of lions in there. And if they were careful, you'd never see them. So did you feel throughout this saga that you were having to do it yourself and you were on your own without any support because it was too awkward? Nobody had resources, nobody had capability and you had to improvise if it ever caused you any bother. To be totally honest with you, after that sighting that he had and we sort of just got on with life and we just didn't pay much heed to it. And although I very, very much believe exactly what he said and what he described and he had no reason to make things up, I assumed that if there was anything out there that it wouldn't necessarily want to eat me, given the choice of pheasant and rabbit. We all had busy lives and things to get on with. Didn't really consider going looking for it. I think possibly for about a week Afterwards, I was a little bit cautious about where I went alone, but I didn't really give it much thought beyond that, obviously, until I saw it myself. (laughs) How much further into events was that and what happened? My own first sighting was very likely about a month after the initial one. It was on the same field, actually, on the same land as it had been first seen. But I was leading a little pony mare along the road. I was just moving her from one field to another. And out of the cops to my right, which I could see clearly over her shoulder because she's only little, I saw this big cat lolloping across the field, just loping across the field from right to left. And it disappeared into a clump of bushes, at which point I'm ashamed to say that I stopped where I was and ducked down and hid behind the pony's shoulder. I then saw it coming out of the bushes with clearly a rabbit in its mouth and it made back for the copse that it had come out of. I stayed there for quite a while. Part of me thinking, why am I doing this? And part of me thinking, I want desperately for a car or any other human being to come down this road now so that we can maybe have another person other than me to have seen it. But unfortunately, nobody came down the road. I walked the mare home from there knowing now that I'd actually seen this creature that Paul had described and it was exactly as he had described and it was still in my bottom fields. Did the horse react? Absolutely not at all, which surprised me. The horse actually was watching it. It didn't appear to be threatened by it whatsoever. It was just quite nonchalant. Do you think it also recognised it and thought, oh, there's that animal that doesn't bug me. I've seen it before and it seems to be fine, so... Quite likely, if it was in that area, the horses may well have got used to seeing it. And for whatever reason that it had chosen to take the foals two years before, I don't know. Somebody did say to me that potentially it may have been a bit elderly or it may have be carrying an injury. And that's what would have made it, the hunger would have possibly made it take a bit of a chance on something that it wouldn't normally do. Or the complete reverse, that it's young and inexperienced and it goes for the wrong thing. I think it's more often that they're young and inexperienced and they go for a different target. Can you describe it then from what you saw? I personally can't give this cat a name because I'm not a cat expert. This was definitely black. I would have described his coat at that time a little bit like our old Labrador dog when he's changing coats you know, where the coat becomes a bit dull. 
when I've seen it on other instances, it's been very sleek and healthy looking. But the first sighting, it was quite a what I call a manky looking coat. It was slightly taller than Ben, a Labrador. It was quite a bit longer, I would have said. It was definitely feline. There was nothing canine about it. There was nothing canine about the shape of its head, its little ears. Definitely cat. I mean, I've seen enough pictures of cats to recognize a big cat when it stood in front of me. It was very, very graceful and covered an awful lot of ground with each sort of stride much bigger than an average Labrador dog would. Its tail was, I would say it wasn't far off, almost the length of the cat. It had a tiny, sort of slightly more tufted bit at the very end of its tail. It had big feet and it had substantial legs. Whatever people believe online and all of these things, that was definitely a cat lolloping past me and it was probably no more than 30 metres away. Yeah. For how long was the sighting? It probably covered 150 metres from right to left. It disappeared out of view for, I would say, no longer than about 30 seconds. So it possibly had been stalking something anyway. Mm-hmm. And then it lolled back from whence it came. So it was probably no more than about two minutes in all. But I know what I saw. And I know that people say... Yeah, people say, why didn't you get a photo? Well, you know, back in whenever it was, 2004, we didn't quite have the same mobile phone camera technology. My mobile phone then was used to make phone calls on. They weren't smartphones? No, of course they weren't. We actually saw the cat not very much longer after that when my mother was with me and my husband. So the three of us saw it together. And that again was in the same location. And that was again when my mother and I were leading a couple of ponies up the track. We both just stopped and looked at each other because this cat, again, was just lying across. It was a, it's a single track road and it was lying across the road, virtually taking up the whole width of the road with its tail. Its shoulders were slightly up and it was clearly watching something in the little paddock on the right where there's a slight drop down. It obviously had its eyes on something down there. My husband was behind us in the car, and because he was in the old Range Rover, he was a bit higher up than us, so he had full view of it as well. So that's three of us that saw it. What we both did at that point was we slightly curled the ponies round us so that they hid us. (laughs) Not that I wanted to sacrifice the ponies, but it just gave us a little bit of time where the Cat was clearly quite comfortable with the presence of the horses, but probably wouldn't with us. It was actually looking at something, and then after about a minute, it just got up. It was sideways onto us, looked at us, totally unperturbed, and trotted off up the road. And it probably went about a further 20 yards before bobbing up a bank onto the paddock up above. That was three of us had seen it. I didn't feel quite as much of a, how can I describe it? When you see these things and you tell other people about these things, you know damn well that people don't really believe you until they see it themselves. So I was so pleased that my mother and my husband had actually seen it as well. So there were now four of us all together, including my neighbor who had seen this creature. And it became a little bit like a a sort of secret society of people that had seen some fairy-like 
creature that nobody else had seen. But we definitely all saw it. Yeah. Would you say it was jet black and no markings whatsoever? No markings at all that you could distinguish. Are you sure each time it was the same animal? Yes, I'm virtually convinced it was, yes. Unless there's a family of them there, but yes, it was exactly the same animal. You know, as confidently as I can say that, I would say yes, it was. It was obviously comfortable in its surroundings. It obviously knew exactly where it was going and, you know, it was obviously quite happy there and knew where it was. Strangely enough, even though we were only probably less than 100 metres away from it, I didn't feel any threats from it whatsoever. And it didn't appear to be bothered about us, which just made me think maybe that it was a, a cat that was used to humans. Yeah, or it was aware of you guys because it had seen you, smelt you, been closer than you might have wanted it to be sometimes and just <laughs> possibly knew you were locals, knew you weren't any bother and thought, oh, I was that crew again. I'll just work my way around them. You never know. Well, possibly. I mean, nobody will know. What I will say at this point, though, is that we started to hear through the grapevine of other very near neighbours that had seen the same creature. I'd had another neighbour who had come across it while he was walking his little Jack Russell and it had been sat on his farm track, minding its own business, and disappeared through the bottom of a hedge. So we were now getting a little bit of a collection of people that had actually seen it. And that particular person had made contact with a friend of his who had knowledge of these things. I'm not sure. It was something to do with Chester Zoo. What he had said was, you won't have a black panther there because if you did, you'd have people going missing. So hmm. that just made us a little bit more scared of it, to be honest with you. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that was his view on it. But there were certainly more people now. We had an old boy from the village who was quite, you know, he used to go out shooting at night anyway, and he swore blind that it had crossed the road as he was going home in his car one night, that it had popped over a, a wall, crossed the road in front of him in his headlights, and, and he absolutely swore blind that he'd seen this cat. It was just starting to become a little bit more of a, a local phenomenon, if you want to call it that, really. Were you careful about how much you spread the word about it? Oh, gosh, yes, because people thought you were nuts, you know, in fairyland, really. You can understand why people are like that, because until you do see see it with your own eyes. But did you also keep it low-key because you were worried about vigilantes and intrusion like you'd had the first time? Well, yes, because this was going to be an ongoing situation, wasn't it? People wandering your woods and people wandering your fields again. And to be totally honest with you as well, I think there was a slight degree of, well, it doesn't seem to be doing anybody any harm. Well, certainly not humans. So why bother it? Why risk bothering it if it's getting on alongside human beings and keeping itself to itself and not doing any damage to humans, then potentially leave it alone. Did you become sort of slightly protective of it? Yeah, probably in some sort of way, maybe even subconsciously then. The ones of us that had seen it up to then were a little bit protective of it maybe just agreed without words, really, that you didn't spread it about. And that if you saw 
and we'd tell each other, but you wouldn't necessarily tell the whole world about it. Because you didn't ever get the vibes that it was a menacing beast? Well, no, because I had a bit of a close encounter with it one night on the farm, and it was within 10 feet of me, and it didn't actually make any moves to attack me that So I'm hoping that it wouldn't do. Can we hear a bit more about that one then? Well, yeah. I mean, basically, we run a little stud farm. So we've got sort of barns and blocks of stables and and stuff like that. And I was just woken one night by the sound of horses kicking stable doors in the barn nearest the house. It's often the case that horses get cast in their boxes. You know, they roll over and they get their legs stuck up the wall. and, And I think as a horse owner, you're quite clued up to that and switched on to it even when you're half asleep so um i got up in my pajamas and put some shoes on and out i went to the yard and i went through the first stable block and there was nothing amiss there so i went out through the back door of that stable block to go across another part of the yard to go to the big barn as we called it i switched the outside light on on the exit of that barn and That was it. As soon as I was outside with a yard light on, there was this frozen big cat stood facing me no more than 10 feet away. So whether it had been prowling around the back of the barn, I don't know, and the horses had maybe sensed it and kicked or something, but it was stood. I was stood looking at him and he or her, and it was looking back at me, and it was just stood there, side on, definitely big, with its shoulders up and its back dropped somehow, not in a sort of crouching way, not in a sort of going to pounce way. It was just a bit as if it was trying to make itself disappear, if you know what I mean, make itself look smaller. It was looking at me. Its jaw was quite relaxed. Its tail had a very, very slight sway and twitch to it. And all that was going through my mind at that point was that I remembered the David Attenborough programme saying, if you come across a grizzly bear or something big, try and make yourself look big. And if anybody would seen me that night, they'd have laughed their heads off because I'm only five foot three. And I was stood in my pyjamas in the yard with my arms up in the air, on tiptoes, trying to look big. And basically within not very long, it just looked at me with a bit of disdain, to be honest with you, and just trotted off around the back of the big barn. By which time I'd reversed into the barn I'd just come out of and shut the door. And then I phoned, well, I couldn't phone my own house because the extension was attached to my own house, but I phoned my parents who lived in the cottage next door. I remember telling my sister, I'm stuck in the barn and there's a big cat outside. Can you come and do something? And she laughed at me and she said, are you sleepwalking? And I said, no, I'm in the barn. And I was, again, whispering like Paul had originally. Next thing I heard was my father coming along the side of the barn with a coal shovel, hammering the tin on the, really upsetting the horses, but hammering the tin of the side of the shed, the corrugated iron, obviously in his effort to frighten off off whatever had been there. But, you know, we looked with torches afterwards and there was obviously no evidence it had well gone by then. But that was a slightly uncomfortable close encounter. But as I said, it didn't threaten me. It could have done. It would have been probably two leaps away, if that, and it would have had me. But there was no, well, I mean, I wouldn't have hung around to see if I could stroke it. But there was no 
I didn't get the feeling that it was going to pounce. And it didn't flatten its ears or it didn't hiss? No, absolutely no sound whatsoever. Nothing, no sound whatsoever. Did you see the eye shine? Did its eyes reflect? No, not really. It didn't give that same shine that you might get with a, with a torch, you know. Everything was lit up, the whole place was lit up, and it was just stood there. What do you think it was doing before you arrived? I think it was quite likely walking up our drive, past our sheds, and up the back path into the woods. And it was probably something that he maybe he did quite often, <laughs> and that we were never aware of it. Before you described this incident and the horse's reactions, I was going to say, did you ever detect any dog or horse reactions that you felt were them reacting and responding to the presence of the cat at any time in any incidents? I suppose you could say yes, because we had terriers, you know, and you let them out for the last pee at night and they'd always go running around the back barking. But that could have been anything. It could have been a cat. It could have been anything. We did have one pet cat that was badly mauled by what we assumed was a fox at the time. And she reappeared at home with one of her eyes hanging out. But that could well have been a, a fox. Mm. Um, we didn't. We didn't. That was way before we'd seen the cat. So, you know, we didn't even think about it being a big cat at that point. Did anybody ever lose a dog or a cat or any domestic animals? I mean, you lost two foals, but did anybody ever lose any pets in the suspicious circumstances? Not that I'm aware of and not that I've, not that I've ever heard of. We were told by someone that they would take a small dog, given the opportunity, or take a cat. I don't actually remember being more careful about letting the dogs out because I would have hoped that they would have come scuttling back in. But, you know, with everything is easy with hindsight, isn't it? Really, isn't it? Where you think maybe we shouldn't. But we were lucky we didn't ever lose any dogs, you know. After that incident, I think we had, between my mother and myself, I think we had three other sightings. One minor one by my mother. Not that it's minor because it was my mother, but she happened to be in around a static caravan that we had at the back of the farm. She was in there cleaning one day and she actually saw the cat sitting on a tree stump, a tree that we'd not long cut down, actually, a big old sycamore. And it was just sitting like a normal domestic cat on top of the tree stump. And we also saw it, I suppose you could say, we were pinching some driftwood off the beach. And we were walking alongside a big old sea wall that is, is down near the farm. And the cat jumped. The cat was actually going along it and jumped off and disappeared into some trees one evening when we were, when we were there. But I think the one where I actually managed to get a photo was probably the best one from the point of view that I got a photo. Yeah. Not a good photo, but I did get a photo because I was actually in that same static caravan one day. I was looking out the kitchen window. I was tidying up around the sink, and there it was. It was out in the actual big back garden of the static caravan. It came up under the fence out the paddock. I did have a phone then that does have a camera. What I actually did was I went on my hands and knees under the level of the windows so it couldn't see me, picked up my phone from the lounge area, came back to the kitchen window, bobbed my head up, and it was just actually crossing a little bridge that we've got over a quite a sizable ditch at the back and making its way up the hill. So I did get a picture of it. 
And that set off a bit of a, a thing then with our local BBC wildlife people because I was probably quite excited because I've got a photo. We had been approached before about these sightings by a local BBC wildlife person who had also had sightings himself, but down in mid Wales. So he was quite excited to hear that there was potentially one on Anglesey. And it was um, following on from a conversation with him that we allowed some night vision cameras to be put on various locations on the farm just in case something would trigger it off and they were put at a specific height so that foxes and rabbits wouldn't trigger them, but obviously a bigger creature would. But unfortunately, even though they were there for probably two years, being checked on a fairly regular basis, the only thing they picked up were, I think they got whiskers one night investigating it, but that might well have been one of the horses that had maybe found the camera. But it didn't get anything significant to prove it was a cat. I sent him the photo and what I did, because I didn't know at the time, and I don't even know if you could at the time, email a photo off your phone to somebody, because I'm not very good with technology. And what I actually did was I'd saved it in my computer and I printed it on a piece of paper. And I did a copy for myself and a copy for this wildlife man, who is quite well known wildlife man, but I won't name him. About a year after that, I upgraded my phone, as you do. And I didn't know at that time that you could, well, I don't even know if you could at that time transfer all your photos like you can now into a cloud or wherever else you want to do it. So the actual original photograph was lost. So the only photo evidence I've got now is a printed picture on non-photographic paper of the actual cat that I saw crossing the bridge. That was probably back in 2013 when we saw it last and we actually sold the farm in 2014 and we've only moved up half a mile up the road so we're in the same sort of location and environment. But I just recently, last year sometime, I think through COVID and whatever, as you're fiddling through your phone and Facebook and, and found a, a page, a Facebook page about big cats and I decided that I'd post a photo of the cat, a picture of the picture of the cat on the Facebook page. And it was, oh, I took it off in the end. It was just totally hilarious, the comments, you know, that it was just a little tiddler, tiddly little house cat and that it was a bear and that was amongst, you know, the, a big grizzly bear. I've never known of a grizzly bear to be wandering Anglesey, have you? <laughs> but apparently somebody on this big cat page were absolutely adamant it was a big grizzly bear but the bridge it was crossing at the time unfortunately you can only see its legs from just below its knees and just below its hocks because there's an edge on the bridge so it doesn't actually give you a real proper impression of the actual size of the cat but the bridge was made out of um, scaffold planks from where the front foot is touching the bridge and the back foot is touching the bridge, we've actually measured the actual planks and it's, it's almost four foot, you know, from front leg to back leg stretched out. So there's absolutely no way that that is a domestic moggy, absolutely no way. There is also a rail on the sides of the bridge and it's almost sort of three quarters of the way from the floor of the bridge to the rail. So 
it's got to be probably, I would say, I don't know, 29, 30 inches tall. Whether that fits into any big cat group, I don't know. If we go on the theory that it was most likely a black leopard, a melanistic leopard, you're in the zone for the right parameters. Also, the the bridge would be, you know, we, we always talk about pinch points. You know, where has an animal like that got to cross and where could you put a camera like a camera trap? Yeah, we did have a camera near the bridge on the telegraph pole. But to be honest, it's not a pinch point. It was just okay. a bridge for our convenience. It could have popped over the ditch either side of it, gone up the bank. It would have then continued up the bank about 150 metres to a forestry wall, which is easily jumpable by something like that. And it would have had something like 300 acres of forest to disappear into. So it was a difficult area to set camera traps up on anyway. Oh, gosh, yeah. We could only obviously do that on our own land, really. We couldn't authorise them to use it anywhere else. So, um, How did you feel managing to get a photograph? Was it sort of a moment of almost closure or a moment of satisfaction? Well, it was. I wanted to tell the world. I was almost hopping about thinking, who can I tell first? I showed it to the person that saw the first sighting and absolutely adamant it's the same animal absolutely adamant as is the person who met it with a jack russell as is my mother and husband and myself i'd sent it to the bbc wildlife person and what he has been doing over a number of years but he's retired now so i don't know if he's still doing it but he was collating evidence he lived around dolgethai area in mid wales cad idris area yeah and he told me, and I have no reason to disbelieve him, he'd told me that he'd watched two two cats on a regular basis together up there. I firmly believe they're around, and I can understand that people want to actually see them in front of them before they'll believe, but I just can't understand why people go on these forums just to completely criticise somebody, you know, I know what I saw and I can't make it anymore. I can't prove anything other beyond what I've seen and what I can say and what neighbours of mine have seen. But it's not been seen in our area now for, I would imagine it would be dead by now, wouldn't it? We were told things like that there had been a gentleman in a, well, a village, probably as the crow flies, no more than five miles away from us, that had actually kept big cats. You know, in the days when you were allowed to, and he'd actually kept big cats in cages in his back garden. And I was actually told by somebody that used to do some handyman stuff for him. And he said, and one day he said, they just weren't there. They just weren't there. And he was very cagey, excuse the pun, as to where they'd gone. And he never did get to find out where they went. So whether there had been a release when they had to get these licenses, whether the one that we had was a descendant of one of those. If they were male and female, nobody will ever know, really, will they? That's the lead theory, is it, Anne? Well, possibly. We were also told that they have a massive range and that that range could potentially be the whole of Anglesey because once you start hearing about stuff like this, then you start to hear other stories about people that have had sightings so there's quite a few other people that have said, well, it was seen in so-and-so and it was seen in so-and-so. 
The whole of Anglesey is a potential territory. I think it would be a big one, but it is a potential. What were the intervals of your sightings and episodes? A year between each sighting. Oh, okay. I think it was very comfortable in its territory, Mm. whether it wandered away from our area for a length of time and then would come back at different times of year. I don't honestly know. No, it could have done. I didn't know the intervals were a year. That interval, yes, it could have been well away, couldn't it, at times, yeah. We're talking between knowing it was about, well, assuming it's what took the foals, we're talking between 2002 and 2013, aren't we? Yeah, that's a long time, yeah, yeah. So if you spread it all out equally... Yeah, no tourists or visitors ever reported it. I mean, of course, they may have seen it and were shocked and decided not to declare it. Not that I know of. The sorts of people that have seen it have been sort of, as examples, builders working on scaffolding in some remote farmhouses. And there was another gentleman who had been jogging more towards the sort of northwest of the island and had actually gone and knocked on somebody's door because there was a big cat on the other side of the hedge following him step by step. Those are the sorts of stories that we hear, but I can only obviously tell you what what I've seen and what my family have seen. Yeah. And then, of course, without you knowing, there was episode 30 on the podcast of Josh Mm. and his dog being followed in in quite an edgy incident, and that was a different part of the island. I'm tending to think that would have been a different one. They would live to about 15 years-ish in the wild, I think it's reasonable to say. This particular animal, as I said, I never felt threatened by it. I didn't obviously feel I could go up to it and say puss puss and stroke it. It didn't seem to have a great fear of me. It had a tolerance of me and it had a bit of a a disdain of me, if you know what I mean, as in that I was irrelevant to it and I just happened to be there and it wasn't bothered by me and it would just look at me and make its way off to wherever it intended to go. That's their general behaviour, I think, towards humans. We're a sort of irrelevance. Exactly. I mean, that's what led me to sort of writing a short story for kids because you start to feel slightly differently towards the animal because I started to feel that and I wove a sort of story where this cat had been released from possibly the comfort and the regular meals of a caged situation and had been released into our area. So I sort of basically weaved a story around as if it was being told by the cat and how it was living and how it was struggling and whatever and where it lived and the fact it was uncomfortable and wet and miserable and he'd got a blackthorn in his foot that had made him particularly ill. And at the end of the book, I mean, it made it sound through the book that this was possibly a human prison escapee. Um, But obviously the twist at the end of the book is that this big cat was recaptured and was ultimately very grateful to be recaptured. And although we might not see it that way, but he was put into a zoo environment and introduced to a mate and everybody was happy ever after. We'll link that on our website uh, to episode 51 so people can get that. And I've read that. It's a very good little story. People can have their own view about whether a cat would want to return to captivity, whether it'd prefer the wild. You're saying that remember the discomfort of the wild there's pros and cons of being out in the wild, depending on how you fare. Well, yeah, particularly if they've been raised in captivity in the first place. I wrote a, a book following that for adults. 
but that also involved cats, but that was a little bit more grisly and slightly different to the first child story. Older children, by the way, it wouldn't be suitable for five, six-year-olds. What was the motivation? Did you want to sort of get things off your chest or did these cases just inspire you to write? I enjoy writing. I've done a few sort of horse and equine things in the past. So I just thought, oh, I've just started a story and it just ran away with me, really. Have you had much feedback? A fair bit. I suppose I'm only selling them through Amazon. So I don't really, I just enjoy writing. And I've had people that have, have read it, have said they've enjoyed it. So that's, that's all you can hope for, really, isn't it? The second one is, is locally based. And I suppose people that live locally would recognise some of the places. And I'm also a Coast Guard officer. I've intertwined murder mystery, plus I've actually included in that some of the, the true versions of the sightings that I've had all intertwined together into a fictional book. But if you knew the area, you'd know where it was, where I was talking about, really. I guess it's a way of keeping a link to this character, this big cat that was obviously a key part of your life. It is. Don't mind doing it now because I'm assuming it's dead and it won't come to any harm from people that are likely to want to chase it with guns. Although we hear there's another one on the island. After the Anglesey episode 30, about two months later, I got a report from somebody who had not heard the episode and didn't know that we'd done a podcast on Anglesey and didn't know there were big cats on uh, sightings on Anglesey. He was a night fisherman, and he said he saw one, and it was about five miles away from where Josh had reported ah, his right. encounter. So there we go. That was uh, 2020. So they're still being seen. So if somebody said, we definitely need to set up traps on your land and have a, a vigil on your land and, you know, at the time, and, and we just have to dispatch it, just going to have to, how would you have felt and would you have stopped people coming on to, to do that? I would not have been happy for it. I can't see any reason for it to have to be dispatched, to be honest. I mean, if it had eaten a child on the beach, then maybe things would have been different. I appreciate that it had possibly could have eaten two of my foals. But I have to look at that as being, well, that's nature, if that's its way. And as long as it's not eating humans. I mean, farmers shoot dogs that eat sheep, don't they? It probably wouldn't be any different if a big cat was doing considerable damage to stock. Then I suppose people, I couldn't stop people from chasing it, could I, and looking for it. I could stop them coming on my land, but I've got no control over what anybody else does anywhere else. I'm just very, very sad, really, that the photo that I took those years ago hasn't reproduced in a significant clarity that the disbelievers will believe. <laughs> no, I can understand. How much better was the original? It was more focused and, and had more clarity to it and better colour definition, obviously, than a printed on normal paper photo would have, which had been probably folded multiple times and unfolded to show people. And the uh, the tail is tucked between the legs, isn't it, if I remember rightly? Oh, yeah, because people were saying things like its legs are too fat. And I was trying to say, well, both legs are almost together in that picture. Maybe had I clicked my camera a second later, then it would have given a totally different picture of the step, wouldn't it? But I was just so glad to get one picture that I didn't take any more. Just a bit of a chance that people would believe you, although the BBC wildlife man said to me, keep it under wraps for a while, otherwise people will go mad. 
that's basically what I did, to be honest. I showed it to a few chosen friends. Yeah, and you mentioned he saw two in Dolgothley. Well, I had, uh, following the Claire Balding uh, Radio 4 radio show, I got over 30 reports, mainly from previous years in the past, but one of those reports was from a lady in Dolgothley who'd had two sightings. We might have her on a future uh, podcast. Going back to the theory for why black panthers, black leopard-like cats would be on Anglesey, that one about the guy locally having them in the past, his ones were black, were they? Yes. I don't know of anybody that's seen any other different colours, to be honest with you. So you always felt that was a lead plausible theory? You didn't hear of any other explanations that made sense? No, no, not at all. And the fact there were two of them. A big cat like that on an island is always going to raise questions, isn't it, about how it got there? I mean, Of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. They've got very, very good CCTV on both the bridges. Now? But, but presumably they didn't have 20 years ago. Oh, and of course they wouldn't have then. And I mean, the Britannia Road Crossing Bridge, the road bit was built in 1982, I think, or 83, because prior to that, it was just a railway, wasn't it? But, you know, these, these creatures, to a degree, can swim, <laughs> I presume. And the distance across... Yes, but it's you, you only opt to do that if you really need to, <laughs> to be honest, that distance. Yeah, they used to swim cattle across, you see, in Menor Bridge. Really? That was the way they used to take cattle across, so it, it's not totally out of the question that something could have swam there. I mean, the Menai Straits there are not very wide, but it does have a hell of a current, so it'd have to be a strong swimmer, I presume. What are your views generally towards these, these animals? I do believe now that there are, obviously, cats in the UK, for whatever reason, just as there are wallabies and various other things, and that... Whoever has either purposefully or accidentally released them has been very irresponsible. Irresponsible towards the welfare of the animal, really, not so much to people. But to expect a wild animal like that to survive in the British countryside unharmed. And can't really understand yet why there's never been a roadkill big cat. Yeah, but there have been. Have there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well do you, would you expect them to be on the six o'clock news to give a briefing and everything? Yes, I would expect that, yeah. But maybe that's just me because because I'm more aware of them. I would like to know if that happens because as far as I'm concerned, if it's dead, it's dead and it's not going to harm anybody. So what's the harm in telling you on your local news that at the crossroads at Dillas there was a big cat killed tonight? You know, what's wrong with saying that? I'm not making defences. I'm I'm not making excuses. I guess because one thing leads to another and suddenly you've got a right fuss and commotion, haven't you? Yeah, I I think it's just too potentially inflammatory. Yeah, there was a big deal done made of that poor lynx that escaped from this little Sioux in Barth, wasn't there, near Aberystwyth, that they shot, you know? I mean, for God's sake, a lynx is a lynx. A panther is a panther. They're slightly different, aren't they? Yes, oh, but, but I think even that one, it was followed in the press because it was known about, you know, if something isn't known about. I, I think it's just one of those things that 
the potential time and the discussion about the implications is just something that is so potentially awkward to start unravelling that if you're a public body with many other priorities and limited capacity, why risk that the chain potential chain reaction? Thank you for your time, Anne. Is there any final points you'd like you're to welcome. make? Um, any other reflections? Just to reiterate that I firmly believe that they're around and while they're not doing any harm, then I don't see why people should want to harm them. And I think that people need to be a bit more open to believing people when they've got sightings, that the first thing you don't always think straight away of grabbing a phone. And I didn't have a phone with me when I was in my pyjamas. I could have had a picture of it 10 feet away, but you don't do it, do you? It's just unfortunate that there isn't a lot of pictorial proof, but for God's sake, listen to the people who are telling you they've seen them because we're not all telling porky pies. And also, not, not everybody would want to release the, you know, a photo or the evidence anyway, even if they had it, and even in your, in your days in those circumstances. It's great to have you to relive this and i mean i think it's you know we can learn a lot from cases like yours where you were actually sort of living alongside it and and actually sort of learning to coexist with it and sussing out its behavior from from having those different types of observations and situations so i think we do learn a lot if we can use the picture on on the website on episode uh, 51 with a watermark of course you can you can yes yeah that'd be lovely for people to see did you incidentally get criticised by some people for only taking one photo? Because I know a lot of people say, well, if you were taking photos, you take two or three because, you know, that's what you would naturally do. That's what you do now with modern phone cameras, but not back then. You know, they weren't as high tech as they are now. I don't have a proper camera now because I just use my phone. But that wasn't the same in those days, was it? I didn't think to do that. I just wanted a picture and I wanted to go and run indoors and say what I'd seen. <laughs> Great. Well, people can read the book. You didn't know about um, the other one. A similar sort of story because uh, Trevor Beer, who we heard about in episode three and was a good contact of mine, based in... Um, oh, yeah, he wrote a, He wrote one as well, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, Barnstable area he lived. And Merlin, the West Country Black Leopard, he wrote about the wanderings of a leopard. I think Merlin was one that I think was wild and... Yeah, wasn't incapacitated by living in the wild. So I think Trevor would have said Merlin wanted to be wild and free uh, because he could cope with the situation. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. And thanks ever so much for your time. And You're welcome. You're welcome. All the best to you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. OK, we will sign out now with a quick note for our words of the week. And we're going to go for diet analysis. That, of course, is about identifying what precisely animals eat. What's the makeup of their diet? And we can do that for humans, of course. But researchers sometimes do it for wild animals that they are monitoring. For mammals like wild cats, it's about finding and examining the poo. So finding the cat's droppings or scat and distinguishing the content. If you can do that systematically, you have a good understanding of the proportions of different prey animals that are on the menu. I want to highlight one particular study, in 2011, of diet analysis for pumas, mountain lions, which was carried out on an island, Vancouver Island, which is off the west coast of Canada. 
That work involved 29 droppings being examined in the Pacific Rim National Park, which is in the south and west part of Vancouver Island. For the top three prey items, it showed that raccoons comprised 28% of the puma's diet, black-tailed deer 24%, and also harbour seals 24%. That might be our link back to Anglesey in a moment. These prey items were identified through checking scats and it was a small sample of just 29, but carcasses of prey items were also analysed in the field. Now, we would expect deer and raccoons to be on the menu, but it was the harbour seals which surprised people from that study. I'm grateful to a new listener, John, who visits Anglesey regularly, because he made the suggestion that seals and their pups could be prey on Anglesey, especially because it has a large population of Atlantic grey seals and a very undulating coast where the seals would be vulnerable and easy to predate by a large cat that gets the habit for taking them and seals are there all year round. So, seals and their pups taking the place of deer on Anglesey could be the large prey item to sustain a big cat. Something to consider anyway. And there's our word of the week, diet analysis. For a coming episode, we have an hour-long discussion with British wildlife photographer Will Burrard-Lucas. He recently got the striking photographs you might have seen of a black leopard in the wild in Kenya. We'll hear all about how those photographs were captured, discuss his Black Leopard book, and learn how he achieves his vivid close-up pictures of wild animals, especially at night. And of course, we also talk to him about the prospect of filming a Black Leopard in Britain. If you want to look up his work in advance, we've got some links on the Big Cat Conversation website, on the references and links page, or just Google his name, Will Barard Lucas, and perhaps add Black Leopard. Okay, we're closing out now, so thanks again to Anne, our guest, for all her help with this episode, and we put links for her two books on the website under episode 51. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your support and any reviews you can do. And if you want to get in touch, the email is on the website. It's rick at bigcatconversations.com. Okay, hopefully see you next time. Take care and bye for now.